95% of them want to buy a home, but 50 to 70% can't afford a home. So we need to figure that piece of it out and get people back. And the wage thing is a big thing. And we're seeing it. People are laying off every day. So until we get that back in the market and you get people working again, people, they said the medium home price for you to buy a house, I think Sam, what was it? 134,000 or something. And wages just aren't there right now. So what do you tell somebody? Start saving early. You know, <laughs> yeah. Don't spend foolishly. There's a lot of things that go into buying a home. I think the millennials, a younger age, they're taking it, they're taking matters into their own hands. And here's what I mean by that. Because me being in the trenches, writing mortgages for the last 21 years. So I'm seeing these young adults partnering up saying, friends and, and close peers. And they're buying homes like this together and they're living in them. That's how it's working. And the other half of it is, is you've got what's called Nepo home buyers. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interest in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate. And if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello and welcome to Political Contessa. This is Jennifer Nassor and I am your Political Contessa. So I'm taking a little bit of a, not a break from politics, but from presidential politics. This subject actually deals with who is the next president of the United States because of interest rates and the Fed and how it affects the housing market. But I'm super excited to have two professionals here with me today to discuss the state of the market and mortgage rates and affordability and all of those things that actually affect us all every single day, whether we're a new home buyer, a recurring home buyer, an investor, or someone who would like our kids to get the hell out of the house one day. So please welcome to Political Contessa, two professionals from ISERVE Residential Lending. I've got Sam Britt with me on today. Welcome, Sam. Thank you. Appreciate it. And Christina Della Camera. And welcome to Christina. Thank you, Jen. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. And and just to also point out, Christina and I know each other because we are we both serve as co-chairs of Women for Nikki in our respective states. And so the best part about being part of the Haley campaign is the fact that I have gotten to meet some super spectacular women and men around the country that do some cool things. And so I get to present her to you talking about this phenomenal topic because of that connection. So thank you to Nikki Haley for connections around the country. All right, let's start off with dun, 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 the state of the real estate market. I can tell you in Boston, it's absolutely outrageous. Maybe one of the reasons it's outrageous is because we have a sanctuary city and a sanctuary state and we're just housing migrants and kicking out veterans and elderly people and 
and ignoring communities that are really in need and housing migrants. But that's my own my own perspective. Bigger than that, let's let's start talking about that, guys. Well, let me ask you a question: Where you're at, like when you say it, it's it's essentially rough. Like, what is it exactly with housing that's that's your guys' roadblock? I'm curious because we already know across the nation it's huge because we're obviously in Nevada, which is close to the West Coast, and you guys are completely opposite states. So I'm very curious to see what your struggles and pressures are over there. Wow, flipping the tables, Sam. This just at the very beginning of the podcast. Well, I'm curious, <laughs> right? I want to know if you have the same commonalities yeah. as, as every other state. Yeah, no, we do. The average home price is probably up 20%. The cost of living is outrageous. Every time I go to the food store, I'm I'm a single mom every single and I've got two of three kids at home. So only three of us. And I don't cook and I cannot leave the food store without spending $250 or more. And I'm not sure what the hell I just bought. And the housing costs, it's like, it's not just the housing, but taxes. I can't, I'm embarrassed to say how much I pay in taxes on my home. And the home that I'm currently living in was a pandemic purchase. And um, I paid a lot more than the person who I bought it from paid for it, right? So again, and then I see how much rents are. Rents are $4,000, $5,000 a month in the city of Boston for nothing. Little studios that are 350 square feet are between $500 and $700,000. Like that's insanity. Once upon a time, my first my first condo that was two bedrooms and two baths, I bought for $500,000. So you just segued it in. And, and that's what I wanted to hear because <laughs> I know Christina's feeling the same pain. I'm feeling the same pain. It doesn't matter what state you're in. We're all complaining about the groceries. We're all complaining about the housing market, even rents, the whole bit. And it all comes down to lack of inventory. And that's what's driving the issue. That's exactly Christina, what's, what's your thoughts. I know we're talking about the state of the market. Talk to me a little bit about that scenario. Yeah. Look at mortgage rates. When we, we've been in this business for 20 years, so we've seen quite a cycle in mortgage rates and the ups and downs, but in coming out of COVID, you had 2020 rates got as low as 2.79%, which is the lowest that they've ever been. And then you saw rates at the end of last year hit seven and a half percent, 7.79 was the peak in October. That is a massive move in three short years. That's your your mortgage payment didn't just double, it probably tripled. And Sam can probably talk to that. And he mentions the cost of living, insurance costs have gone up. So everything across the board has risen and it's just creating these affordability issues. We're seeing it firsthand, obviously, in all the states that we're licensed in, whether it's on the East Coast, down South or out West, people are struggling to afford a home. They're kind of sitting on the fence waiting to find out where mortgage rates going to come down. Do we jump in now? Do we wait? So there's a lot of uncertainty in the market right now. And Sam hit on the biggest thing. And Nikki hit on it in the debate because she was one of the only people to talk about it, is we need to open up the supply chain. Builders are experiencing it. Building costs are high. So every every sector of the housing and building industry is feeling it right now. I would I would agree with that. I think the 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 biggest pain point you're having is you've got a housing to income gap. The gap is so large. And and I talked about this in my own podcast locally, which we were talking about last year. The the average American was paying three thousand dollars a month for a mortgage. And and just to give you aspires to a four hundred thousand dollar house, and that's not a lot of house in our market. And it takes $110,000 in household income median just to make 
And that's where our gap was. Our gap was our average, our average income just in Northern Nevada alone is 78 to $84,000. So you have this ginormous gap where people, first time home buyers, people who are strong, they can't get into the housing market. So they're forced to rent, which is what's driving the rents up because you don't have enough inventory. And it's this crazy cycle where it goes back and forth. And I think to what Christina was talking about, that's where the interest rate drop is going to be quite interesting because I do not think the feds are seeing or, or hoping what, what's going to happen is, is they're like, if we start releasing these rates down slowly, this is going to help our economy. While that might be the case with inflation and everything else, if our housing market nationwide held steady at seven and 8% rates, what do you think that's going to do when we hit five and 6%? You've got buyers pent up on the sidelines drooling at the mouth to be able to jump into our market. And we don't have the inventory. Even if we support those builders and, and fix those supply chain issues, it's not enough to fix the half buy sell cycle that we're experiencing nationwide right now. It's just not. Yeah. And I was reading yesterday, it, they basically said that everybody that got a home last year, 33% of the homeowners, if rates level off at 6%, which is kind of what people are thinking, they'll save one percentage point or more, which is a big savings for them. Um, so that's a big number in and of itself. Well, let me give you an example. That same that same stat where at 400,000, a family was paying three grand a month with today's interest rates, that same $400,000 purchase price gained $52,000 in purchase price. So if you wanted to keep a $3,000 mortgage payment from last year, that translates to today's interest rates. It's $452,000 for a purchase price. So you gain 52K more. So, and, and we haven't even had an official interest rate drop. That's just from the investors and the mortgage-backed securities getting comfortable with the fact that we know rates are on the segue down. So as soon as that happened, we saw an instant relief just in the mortgage-backed securities back in December. So my biggest concern is, while this is going to help a lot of home buyers, I don't know how we fix the, the inventory issue just yet. Yeah, supply chain is the one of the biggest issues right now. You have builders waiting. Yes, building costs are high, but there's not a lot of land to be building on. There's not a lot of properties out there to revamp or whatever they're going to be doing. And so, and Nikki realizes that, and she made a bunch of comments in the debate about it. And I think we need someone that understands that we need to open up the supply chain in order to get the housing market back on track. Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. They're, 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 definitely joined at the hip. I, I see, I live in this town that was normal sized homes and people again, started moving out of the city. Young families started gaining some, it's their second, now their second home after their first purchase, their second purchase. And there's nowhere to, there's nowhere to build. When I, when I bought my home, the broker said to me, I'm not really sure the next time a home is going to come on the market, right? And so you you definitely have those people waiting on the sidelines because even for myself, where I'm not a first or second time home buyer, I'm not paying, I have a 3% interest, 2.65% interest rate. I'm not going to go someplace and go pay 8% for an interest rate. That's crazy. Jenny, yeah. you just hit the nail on the head. That's where the half buy sell cycle is. When we had those massive rate drops, in my personal opinion, where the feds messed it up was they held those rates too low for too long. Instead of people during the pandemic doing a normal healthy buy sell cycle, they're like, I'm going to snag that interest rate. I'm going to do all these upgrades to my house and I'm going to sit in it. And it isn't like the first housing crash. So everybody has 30 year fixed mortgages. They're not going anywhere. It's just what you said. They're not going to trade up a 2% for a 6% or 7%. So you have a half buy sell cycle. So unless somebody's getting divorced, 
bankruptcy, any sort of forced sale, people are just not moving out of their homes. And then you have the other caveat, the other issue of a lot of the supply has been taken off the market for Airbnb properties and things like that. So those are properties that people are renting out and not actually living in. So that proper, that segment of the market hasn't come back yet. And that's a large chunk of the market. We see here in New York, people left in droves to go down to Florida. And I'm talking to people all the time that have second properties they're looking for in Florida. They want to rent out Airbnbs. They have their main property here. Taxes are high here. So there's all of those issues that are affecting, especially here in New York. It's amazing the amount of people that have have left because of these issues. Well, and the, the commonality that I'm hearing between what Jen said and what you said is, think about it. Do these sound like first-time homebuyers trying to jump into this market? That's why your average age is nationwide is 49 years of age. And it's funny is the, the, the higher the inflation, the more the cost is, the higher the, the age goes up for home ownership. And that's, that's, that's fact. The, the, the scary part is, do you know what the age for an average home buyer was before the pandemic? It was 47. It was 47. So we literally went up by two years and that contributes to, you can tell inflation and the cost is what's driving it up and it's getting worse. And if somebody doesn't step in to slow this down, that age is going to continue to keep increasing. I don't know about you guys, but I'm 47 years old. You're <laughs> telling me that somebody, the average age of a homeowner is two years older than me. That's insane. to me. It's insane. It's ins it's terrible. And that's one of the things that Nikki talks about all the time, right? Is that she's watching, her daughter is 25 years old and just got married. And she was watching how difficult it was for them to buy a home. And, and that's in South Carolina, right? When you live outside of a major metropolitan city, you live in one of the most expensive areas, whether it's New York, Boston, California, where, you know, we're getting killed on taxes in addition to what the interest rates are, what your mortgage is, where you see that high salaries are not, employers are not hiring people at the highest salaries. Those salaries are coming down. Low wage workers are the ones getting jobs. That unemployment is is a fictitious number because it's people who need to be employed at low level salaries, not high level. How do you, how is it, right? And of course, going back to this 49 years old homeowner issue or crisis is that you don't start really making money until you're in your 40s. So what do you say to the kid who is in their mid-20s and came out of college and has a decent job and they're making $75,000, they are making $100,000 a year, again, in a nice major metropolitan city, but they're paying rent of $4,000 a month. They don't have a lot of access to cash to put down on a home. You have 8%. What do you do? Get rid of the current president. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is a perfect point into your vote matters. <laughs> and it's tough because that you have 50 to 70 percent of the Gen Z and millennials, 95 percent of them want to buy a home, but 50 to 70 percent can't afford a home. So we need to figure that piece of it out and get people back. And the wage thing is a big thing. And we're seeing it. People are laying off every day. So until we get that back in the market and you get people working again, people, they said the medium home price for you to buy a house, I think Sam, was it 134,000 or something? And wages just aren't there right now. So what do you tell somebody? Start saving early, you know, <laughs> don't spend foolishly. There's a lot of things that go into buying a home. Well, and I'll tell you, I feel because 
on the on the bigger spectrum of things with all of our ownership of of people who run our country i think the millennials a younger age they're taking it they're taking matters into their own hands and here's what i mean by that because me being in the trenches writing mortgages for the last 21 years the biggest phenomenon the two biggest phenomena that i am seeing number one is you're seeing your younger 20s and 30 kids so the younger adults jumping in and partnering partnering together to buy these homes i have people running FHA home loans and conventional home loans where they're in agreement that we're going to buy this together in partnership and we'll sell it together in partnership because they realize they can't get in on their own. So I'm seeing these young adults partnering up saying it can't get fixed at the upper level. So this is what I'm doing. I'm financing people that are getting friends and, and close peers and they're buying homes like this together and they're living in them. That's how it's working. And the other half of it is, is you've got what's called Nepo home buyers. These are young people. I hate saying young. It's 38% of home buyers that are using a young adults. Like they're using their family for down payment, for co-signing. Because our 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 generation sees like these kids aren't going to get in and we can't fix it at the at the leadership level. So how do we help? Well, they're either co-signing to help out with the income piece of it, or they're gifting the down payment to help them get into these homes, knowing full well. If these kids graduate college and they don't want to stay in the house, then they know they'll either rent the home or just sell the home. But they help that young adult with their first home is the bottom line. This is what we're starting to see. This is a new phenomenon. Mm. Well, so then it's that's great. I, I love that, except for the fact that what if you are not in that position to do that, right? I'm, I'm speaking as a, as a solid Gen Xer. We were told to keep our heads down, get your education go to school, come out, get a great job, a solid job, a job that you could be at for a long time, have your 2.5 kids and your, at the time it was a station wagon, now it's an SUV, Right. get your dog and and maybe one day you'll be able to afford a summer home or you buy your first home so you could buy your second home so you could buy your third home. And, and now today, yeah, okay, so a bunch of us did that, but the, gen- the generation ahead, those young baby boomers- where social security is at risk. They don't know if they're going to have it as they're older because of the bad decisions of the Trump administration, the Biden administration, the Obama administration. So you have them that are concerned about where their retirement is. People who maybe didn't get the same lessons that Gen Xers got on making sure that you're saving and you have enough because I was raised on, I don't know if there's going to be social security by the time I'm older. So I've been saving. And so now you have these young baby boomers. Are they supposed to now sit there and say, oh, I'm going to, I I was saving money for my retirement, but I'm going to give it to my kid so that way my child could go and- 100%. Right? That's yeah. what's crazy. Like I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm thinking, my God, I, I don't know a ton of 60 to 65 year olds that said, oh, I'm just, I have an extra $100,000 laying around to help my it's, kid out. The greatest analogy for that is like, picture somebody in a war and it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take cover and I'm going to shoot. It's essentially the same thing. Your parents are putting up that money to help your kids. doesn't matter if I don't have a, receiving, a, a retirement or savings and I'm taking it out of my chunk of my own funds. It's like, what is my kid going to do? This is the stuff that I'm seeing happening because we cannot afford anything on our own. The states have done a pretty good drive, uh, a job at driving in like down payment assistance programs. But where I see the gap and and, and God bless them because you know how it works is, is federal funds help them out. They have to spend so much money statewide. 
But where I'm seeing the gap, the stop gap is, is they set these income limits for the for this money, right? Like, okay, if you want to buy this house and you want 4% to help with your down payment, that means you can't make more than X amount of dollars. Well, where you're having the problem is, hey, Mr. State, do you understand? I understand this is a federal guideline. Do you understand that you limiting the amount of money they're making to buy a house is hurting us? For example, in our state, a buyer can't make more than, I think it was $74,000 most recently is the one I saw annually. And did, I just told you in our state, it takes $110,000 just to buy a home. So it's like these people qualify for these grants, but unfortunately they don't, they don't, they can't use it. They don't debt ratio because they have these income restrictions. You're talking and it's like, I know people don't actually pay attention to history and like current events or things that yeah. had happened, but it's like, I'm going to make a, a funny reference, but Z Cavaricis or okay, <laughs> thank you. I remember thank, those. Thank you. I'm so happy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so it's like them coming back in style again. Right. And kids are like, it would be like, oh, wow, look at these. And you're thinking, oh my God, I know not that we're not going back there again. So in 2008, the housing bubble, this sounds a lot like that, right? Why don't we give people who can't afford homes mortgages and help them out so they could buy a home, but then do they foreclose on it? Because exactly what you're saying, like, isn't the whole idea of the American dream that we help people and lift them up by the bootstraps and yeah, show them start. a path and get right and, and hope that they're making more money, not that we're keeping them stagnated 100 when you tell somebody hey look you made seventy nine thousand this year that is four thousand dollars more than uh the grant will give you so therefore you you don't qualify but then they're looking at you like i can't even afford a house on seventy nine thousand dollars in our market <laughs> little so it's just it's uncanny that you have to say these things and where we're at in the markets today and then you have that gap between the people that, like Sam is mentioning, that are above the 74000 and can't afford to actually buy a home without down payment assistance. So where can the government step in and maybe introduce some new programs and things to get that segment of the market going? Because that's a large portion of the market that's like kind of in this middle bubble that they, they can't go in either direction, whether it's down payment assistance or actually to get a mortgage on their own. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing is this, and I and I preach this just because I've been doing it for 20 some odd years. Everybody got away from the creative financing and rightfully so, because that's what caused the housing crash. But here's the number one thing I always say. You have investors coming up with ideas of like arms, two-year fixed arms, three-year fixed arms. Those are still available. Now, I don't believe in selling those personally unless it's for an investor who plans on having a short-term property. But let me ask you this. Why are investors not thinking about taking that 30-year fixed mortgage for a buyer and extending it to an option of a 40 or 50-year? And everybody would cringe and say like, oh my God, you're going to let them die in that house. I'm like, hold up. The average homeowner within the first three to five years is either selling that home or refinancing that home. The idea is in a, in a market crisis like this, you give them the longer amortization period, which gives them the lower payment, which allows them to get into that property. It's not putting any more stress on the investor. They're still collecting their money. It didn't hurt them in regards to like, will they default? Because the reality of it is, is they're not going to keep that loan for 50 years. They might keep it for the next two to three years before the interest rates drop and they refinance it to a standard 30, 15 year or less. They did something like that. The affordability for a first time home buyer comes back into the market. Unfortunately, they're just not thinking like that. And we had those back in, in the day. Those weren't one of the reasons that we were having the crash. It was the short term arms that were crashing us. 
with the adjustments. Food for thought. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that I think that that's phenomenal. I think it's a really good way to think about it. And I, the reason that they're not thinking about it is because most of them are government hacks who have been there forever, and they need to be cleared out. And they're and stuck have, in their ways. And they're stuck in their ways, right? And it's not unless you're outside the bubble. This is the problem with politics. This is what Nikki says about term limits. This is the problem. You you get in there, and it's the same group think. Right. And and you have the same people who just follow around and are part of the bureaucracy and never get outside to hear ideas like that, because I love that. And and yeah, I mean, I can say for myself, I don't think I've owned a home more than 10 years. I consistently am, you know, oh, this doesn't fit my needs anymore. Right. 20 years ago, I had one baby. Product. Let it, yeah. Right, exactly. Right. So and you you think everyone is moving around all the time. We're so much more mobile these days than we were 50 years ago, where you lived in the same community as your family and grandparents took care of the kids. And now kids don't necessarily go to school in their towns. Families don't necessarily live near each other. We're much more mobile. And so that makes so much sense. Yeah. And to your point, the, the when the COVID thing happened, the the, the option of being able to work from home meant you could travel anywhere and move anywhere. And to your point, this is why we see more people moving in the States. Part of the reason we have housing shortages, because that wasn't an option who somebody worked in Texas wanting to move to Nevada, for example. Now it's a possibility because you work from home. So this is where my argument is, is like we're stuck in those ways. And I'm like, hey, look, I personally been in my house for 11 years. Ask me how many times I've refinanced it to get to that two and a quarter interest rate three times. So that's my point. So when people think like that's that's ludicrous, I'm like, it's not because nobody keeps the loan product for longer than a few years, let alone the property, let's say for five. So the point I'm getting at is it might be something to look at as an investor to like, hey, this is maybe what we need to do to look at what's going on with the economy to get people back into homes, right? Yeah, I love that. Affordability piece. Yeah, the affordability is huge. And again, it goes to my, how I was raised in once you own a home, you can sell that. It might not be the biggest. I, I call this the Kardashian syndrome with my kids, right? It's like, I should just be able to own an 8,000 square foot house on a cliff in Malibu. Right? Really? That's really? Everybody's feel. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I can't afford that. I, I literally had a gal I talked to who deals in crypto. Her first house, she's looking at a $1.2 million house. And I'm sitting there going, this is not a first-time homebuyer's ideal house. What are we doing? No, here? no, it's cra <laughs> that's crazy, right? And and you just think of if you really want that generational wealth, the way to do it is you're able to get into something you can afford with a decent interest rate. And then after two to five years, that first home goes into the next home. And if you're going to stay there, maybe you're making improvements, you refinance, but, but that's the way you build generational wealth, not, not by keeping people out of the housing market. 100%. And so when Christina and I were talking about like, so, so what do you think it takes, right? To get the market back on track with, with, with that. And I feel like one of the influences, whoever takes office is going to have to touch the federal reserve. And I'm going to throw this out there because it's like playing with fire. You're doing something similar to what you did in 2020 with rates. However, if you want to stimulate that high half buy sell market, you're going to have to bring those rates back down to three and a half. You're going to have to do it. Here's why. Somebody like myself who has a two and a quarter interest rate or somebody like you has a two and three quarters interest rate, 
and you know you want to move at some point, you would consider moving up to a bigger house and taking that equity and moving it with a 3.5% interest rate payment because there's not going to be a huge gap in payment change, right? But you're doing it in a short window. You're only doing it for maybe 6 to 12 months. And ask me why you do that, because people's concern is like, well, then it's going to cause a frenzy again. Not if you're bringing more sellers into the market, because then it starts to correct the market because you've got three or four houses in a neighborhood for sale instead of one to two. Therefore, you're not playing that. I'll give you above asking price. I don't need to do that. There's three other houses down the street at that price point. And then you start bringing the affordability back down in conjunction with what the builders are doing. That is the answer. And at some point, I think they'll figure it out. The question is when. It's the only way you're going to get a majority of these people to get off the fence seller-wise to move up. Yeah. And Nikki hit on the last debate, everything that we're talking about, she hit on affordability rates and the Federal Reserve. She said that the Fed pumped all this money into the system and in turn, it caused treasury rates to go up and mortgage rates were affected, insurance, building costs, credit card, auto loans. We're seeing astronomical numbers in credit card debt right now. And until someone can recognize and really pay attention to the issue, because I feel like a lot of the candidates haven't really focused on housing. And this is a huge issue in our country, especially affecting the next generation coming up. And like Nikki said, we owe it to the next generation to stop the spending, cut the debt, curb, you know, any bills that we have. She said she would veto anything. We need to get this country back on track from an economy perspective so that we can open up the supply chain, maybe create new products, different government incentives to in incentivize people to want to buy a home right now, because right now it's somewhat unattainable. It's for a lot of people. the strong will buy, bottom line. Yeah. Only the strong will buy in this and it's about to get worse, first rate cut. Going back to what you were saying, Christina, too, is the way I see Nikki's comments are that she is a woman at 52 years old looking toward the future, looking into the next 50 years, because she is concerned about her daughter and her son-in-law and their future family and how the housing market is going to affect where they live, right? Because you think about it, we all hope our kids get married, you're a grandparent one day, and are the kids then going to pick up and say, it's too expensive for us to live here, we have to go someplace else. And then they're further away. Her son, who's graduating from college, what it looks like for him and what those hardships and finding housing are, right? It, which affects your own life, because if your kid has to come home and live with you, or going to what you were saying before, Sam, about taking your money and helping your child buy a home, that's also affecting your quality of life. And so she has this runway that she's looking in the future to say, how can we fix what has been going on and make it better? And the problem with the two clowns that are in their 80s is that neither of them are looking ahead anymore. There's nothing to look ahead at. There's like lots of confusion and lots of chaos and lots of foggy brain, but that that's it. Like there's nothing else. And so I don't think that they're thinking of what to fix. And Trump had his own mess of, of being foreclosed on and being in debt. And as, as someone who who has been a developer, a real estate developer, has had all of his own issues. And clearly he wasn't able to fix that because we wouldn't be, because as, as I know, this isn't something that just pops up, right? This is something that 
goes on. It's a trend that continues upward. And unless someone is able to get in there and make serious changes, Nikki's critique of the Federal Reserve's handling of money, right? I think that that is that takes thoughtful leadership and tough decision making that I haven't seen come out of the last two administrations. Yeah, I agree. She said it too. While Trump had some good policies, he created $9 trillion in debt that we're now paying for, that we're trying to get out of. And in this administration just keeps adding to it. And it, right now, the two of them, these two candidates are just fighting each other and not looking at the greater, the bigger picture. And it's advancing this country forward and enacting legislation and policies that are actually going to make a real difference because what this administration has done has not only affected our country here, but it's affected the entire world. It's not, housing is not just an issue here. They're feeling it in the UK. I've talked to people that have family there. It's, it's awful everywhere that you go. 100%. I think, I think the funny part, and this is part of the reason I like hearing what Nikki's doing with the Federal Reserve and everything else, and I wish the others would figure the same thing out, is do you know when the Fed sits there and decide to make adjustments to our interest rates and how we we curb our spending one of those reports they look at is housing and that housing has a massive amount of weight of what they do in regards to these reports so you would think if this is the federal reserve's way of measuring how we're going to move rates up and down why are not any of our candidates having this on the table of like this needs to be addressed if the feds are using this measure and it affects 100 of america as a runner why am i not wanting to get involved in this so when I first heard Nikki talking about this, I'm like, yeah, get on that because this is one of the biggest issues we have and it's going to affect the next two generations if we can't grasp it. Because the bottom line is we're in a scenario from the pandemic and these lower interest rates and I don't think these feds have figured out a way to get out of this and fix it. They think the interest rate thing is just one portion of it with inflation. They have no clue how to fix the housing economy at this point. They don't. And it's about to get worse with these interest rate cuts because you've got buyers pent up on that fence with no inventory. So, Sam, another point is the we're seeing the New York Community Bank and commercial real estate taking front stage right now. Mm -hmm. So that could be an indication that the Fed needs to start lowering rates sooner because of a potential commercial real estate banking crisis. So what do they do? They're kind of backed into a corner right now. They know they need to lower rates. The odds of them lowering rates in March has changed now to more June. It's like a 70% um, chance of them lowering rates then. But, you know, do these other, there's a lot of global macro factors in the world right now. Do these other factors play a part in them lowering rates sooner or do they raise rates? It's kind of at a point now we don't really know. Well, you have all of them, all the reps kind of mixed. You have half saying, let's let's drop it, half saying, let's hold it. And then the other portion saying, maybe we raise it. It's just an indicator that nobody knows what is the correct path here. But what I can tell you is the feds have always looked at where the puck was, not where the puck is going. All these reports are 30 to 45 days backwards. They don't look at real-time data until after it's passed. And by the time they make those changes, this is why you see the pendulum swing dramatically the other way. And we're in that scenario right now is we're feeling it in the trenches. They don't see it in the office. We feel it. We know it's here. I am helping families that are struggling right now. So we know the biggest factor to see rates drop sooner than later is a bad job report, meaning unemployment going through the roof, more job losses. I hate saying it, but the way it works in the housing world is if you get unemployment skyrocketing and you have people losing jobs, then for them, that's a trigger like, oh my God, we need to pull rates down. 
But by then it's too late. And then that, that, that domino effect has already been going on. They, they already hit the projection they wanted for inflation. It's there. Now they're just deciding when do they pull the lever on dropping those rates. And like you said, Christina, the magic number was supposed to be possibly the first start in March, and now they've moved it to May. Let's be real. We won't see any of these deep interest rate cuts until later in the year, the closer we get to the election. That's just where we're headed. And we saw last week, and we had all these numbers come out, inflation, jobs numbers, and a lot of them were revised. And we saw the 10-year yields. The move that they had that day, is it's never happened. It's, no, they're never. moving 10 handles. That's, that's a massive, massive bond move in the market. And I'm looking at charts all day long because I do trading and stuff. And the move from 2020 in bond yields in the 10-year between now and then is, is historic. And we could talk about that in and of itself. And no one's really paying attention to, obviously, us and the finance community are paying attention to it. But the average consumer doesn't realize what's going on with this and understand that dynamic. 100%. 100%. The unfortunate part with, with the housing market and the people in the industry, Jen, is we can preach all day long that you need to put that game plan together now and get moving sooner than later but they'll feel like it's a sales pitch. And the reality of it is we look at the backside of what's going on in our industry and economically. And it's like, guys, if you want a shot at home ownership, you need to do it now before everybody else jumps off this fence on the first interest rate break. That first break, it's game over. We're going to see, I'm telling you, we're going to see some markets going bonkers again. Mm. I spent some time in DC in 2016, 2017. I was doing some government relations for the company. So I spent a lot of time on the Hill talking to housing agencies, Fannie and Freddie. And this is six years ago. And it's a lot of the same stuff that's happening today, six years later. So with that, nothing is going to get done. It's the same gridlock that is happening on the policy and legislation side as well. So what is it going to take to change that? And it's we need to have a new administration in and get some fresh ideas and things in, in the system. Influencers. Yep. Influencers. That's what we need. Yeah, someone, well, someone who actually, you know, again, going to my favorite topic to Nikki, but, you know, someone who is actually a accountant, right, who can balance a budget, who will require that to be balanced, but will also look into, again, I go back to this. It's amazing that you're telling me that they're looking at market reports that are 30 to 45 days old in any of our positions in in the private sector, you're not looking at data, old data. Like I look at statistical data when I look at polls, poll numbers, polls that were taken. Okay. If that was two weeks old, that was two weeks ago. That's too old for me. I need real-time data to, be able to predict, right? The outcomes or predict who needs to be spoken to. If it's if it's information, whether it's uh, Trump at the Supreme Court, okay, I don't need to know what Colorado did. I need to know what the Supreme Court is saying because that's that's today, that's not yesterday. And so that that's the part of this that is just so amazing. How do you how do you screw with people's lives? In that way, by looking at old data and not predicting the future, because that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, 100%. Their, their last meeting, which was January 31st, they were looking at numbers from November, December. Oh, my God. And that's when mortgage rates peaked. Everything peaked during that time frame. So to look at that now is not a clear picture. Yeah, never is. And and this has been an, uh, a complaint and frustration in our industry for decades. Like, why are we not looking at more 
new accurate data? Why are we going backwards to look at this stuff? Right. And and like normal, we've gotten to a point when they when they publish job reports, we already know it's never accurate. Like, in fact, we're anticipating, I think it's the 14th is the next job revision. I'm banking that mortgage-backed securities go back the other way from all the interest rates that we've lost so far, just simply because we know there's going to be a correction and it's going to show a completely different number than what they published recently. And it's just how it works. Yeah, I mean, they did what two corrections last week, and it spooked yep. the market. And yeah. you know that those are that's what they keep doing. And you know why they're doing that? I don't know. The way it works is this: the 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 job report they they essentially gave was, oh my god, we have all this growth going on right now. And then they'll do the revision and it'd be like, yeah, we were wrong about that. Here's really the job losses we had and the corrected figures. And then the market plays off that. So when we were told we had a really strong job market, rates and the mortgage-backed securities reacted negatively to it. Now, what's happening as an originator here, I'm going to tell you right now, when they make the adjustment for the 14th of this month, we're going to get market share back simply because they're going to say we were wrong. Here's the real numbers because this is what they do. This is infuriating. <laughs> I'd rather have your job, Jen. <laughs> it's it's This is why we need a change in leadership. We need to 100%. get everybody out and 100%. clean it out and start fresh because our country cannot last another four years like this. No, I we can't. It's just, it's really, again, it's not fair to, to folks who have worked hard all their lives and want to then move into their dream retirement home. And they still need to have a mortgage. They don't want to put all their eggs into one basket. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to those kids who their parents said, go to school, come out, get a good job, and and for them. And it's not fair to the rest of us that might want some mobility and to move around or just some sense of a direction that we're going into because I feel like the direction that we were in is is scary and and you don't know there's no way to predict the future ever but but I think knowing that you have stable leadership in the White House that's making good decisions that has cleared out all of the dead weight and the people who are are always guided by that old handbook having data that's over a month old when the internet you can find out information. My 12-year-old could find out information on TikTok faster than these ding-dongs that the Fed could find 100%. out, right? That that feels like maybe you should just go and hire a bunch of kids in middle school and high school because if you can't, if it takes you a month and a half to get that data, we can, we can source all of that so quickly. It just doesn't make any sense. And it's sad, but again, I think it, it, it should be a wake-up call for folks, right? It should be a wake-up call as to why you need to vote, why you need to pay attention to who's running for office, what are they offering to you, what are their suggestions, what are they saying, whether it was the COVID $2 trillion in COVID stimulus that screwed up the inflation and and the labor shortage and the uh, slow down the economic recovery, right? All of that stuff, I, it it is not helpful for people to stay at home and not be out side working and being productive. And, and that's exactly what had happened. And, and so I think we need the only way to do this is to elect a new leader, someone who, and give them a shot to, you know, see what they can do. And again, with a runway of looking forward as to what's going to make the country better, um, not what's going to stagnate us. 
Yeah, the middle class, with all of these, this administration with these policies, the middle class are the ones that have been affected the most. And the middle class working families are the backbone of America. So if you're putting them in a hole where they can't get out of it, how does this country advance forward? How does the housing market flourish? Because you have now your lower, lower income, which is government housing, maybe. And then you have your upper echelon, which are buying cash. So where is that middle market going to end up with another administration like this? I'll, I'll give you a really, a very real, and I'm so sorry. I, I'm, I'm apologizing to my friend. I'm going to, I'm not using her name, but I'm going to use a real story from that just happened this weekend. So my, one of my dearest friends was over and we were watching Sunday morning news shows, not going to mention which one. And some Democrat said this administration is, has really been helping the middle class. And there was a loud like laugh not a haha funny laugh, a haha are you effing kidding me laugh. And she was like, this administration is not helping the middle class. That is, that is who they're not helping. And and she's a she works in a school. She's a single mom. She just sold her home, right? So real life story, sold her home. She had to look around for a perfect house. She found a house that needed to be gutted. Everything costs money and and the cost, the exorbitant cost of everything she's putting in that house. So this is her fourth home that she's owned, sold and, and bought. And, and to listen to her say, right, laugh out loud and say this administration has done nothing to help the middle class is just so symbolic of why people are fed up with the Biden administration and their lack of of care to make sure, again, what you were saying by the price points, keeping people under a threshold in order to be able to get a mortgage, just it, it seems it, it feels like that's criminal to me. And it's almost like they want people to need the government. This is what this side wants. And it's, we need way less of that. Yes, we need way less of that. What was that famous saying? Hi, I'm with the government. We're here to help. That's never the, the words you want to hear, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's the absolute truth, right? So it's just one of those things where we need some new new people up in the leadership. We need new influencers. We need it all. It's like when a team is 0-14, what does that owner do with that team? They wipe out the whole coaching staff and support staff. How is this any different for an administration? I feel like we are 0-14 right now. And now everybody, the fans are feeling it. Oh yeah. And we need someone that's going to be a fighter. Jen, you and I are working on the campaign together. I'm making calls and watching news things, Bloomberg, all of these news stations, basically calling it now. And Nikki just keeps fighting her way to the top. She's not stopping. And that's the type of energy and person that we need leading this country. Absolutely. Absolutely. This has been amazing. I could honestly talk to you guys forever. And so I hope that we can, first of all, this is my first podcast I have done with two guests. So thank you very much for being my maiden voyage on, on trying to get two people on. Second of all, I think this is such an amazing conversation and something that really affects every single person's life in, in that housing market and, and that cycle of generational wealth and inflation and and the economy it affects everyone no matter who you are and what bracket you're in 100 
And you made this really easy to talk. So I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, thank you. I was a little nervous, but now we're good. <laughs> no, it was fun. It was fun. Thank you guys so much. So that is Christina Della Camera and Sam Britt of ISERV Residential Lending here with me today on Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor. I'm your Political Contessa. Say happy, healthy, and safe. And do not forget to vote. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Thank you.